God, we thank you for this time. Guide us that we might be able to, to calm all of the distractions. There's somebody that's distracted from things that are outside of this place. Lord, when they were coming, it was heavy on them, but they came anyway. Or they logged on and joined us anyway, and we're thankful for them. There's somebody that's here that's uh, maybe frustrated that the that that song kept playing, Lord, and now they, they are, it's hindering them being able to open up their hearts and minds to hear from you, Lord. Father, somebody that's worried about a situation with a loved one, for this moment, would you allow them to hear clearly from you so your word may penetrate their heart? May it just help us to be able to live for you a little bit more. Because you love them dearly. You love us all and you want to use us for your kingdom purposes. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Sometimes it is difficult to imagine something that you haven't seen. Um, Do we have any uh, molecular scientists in the room? Okay. Um, Do we have any, um, uh, any crane operators in the room? Uh, Do we have any carpenters in the room? Usually we have one or two, and our brother Ken's away today, and his son has been to many carpentry sites with him. Though I may not be able to build a building, and if you ask me today, the way his son will approach being a carpenter will be very different. Because he's seen it modeled by his father. He's seen what looks like something that might be a big, audacious idea actually be tangible. See him live it out. And say, actually, depending on what profession you're in, you are more likely to follow in your parents' footsteps for certain professions. They say if your parent was a dentist, 13 times more likely you'll be a dentist than somebody else. And Brother Kyle, it might just be me, but I'm feeling some weird echoey. But if y'all are good, praise the Lord. It says also that if your parent is a plumber, you're 14 more times likely that you will be a plumber if your parent is a lawyer 17 a doctor 23 and if your parent is a legislator you are 354 (laughs) times more likely than the average person to become a legislator there's something about about what it like like that that allows us to believe that it's achievable that allows us to believe that it can be done that sees it in our grasp when someone close to us achieves it when someone close to us has modeled it when we've got a chance to experience it from behind the scenes and we believe that that can be that can be done but unfortunately when you don't see it Sometimes you think it's impossible. And walking through our streets in our community, I've met people in our neighborhoods that think Christianity is impossible. I'm going to take it a little bit deeper. We've been talking about evangelism as a church family. We've been talking about what does it mean 
to help somebody understand who Jesus is, that, that a person would want to enter into a loving relationship with Jesus Christ, and they do so because we've shared with them, we've talked with them, we've allowed them to hear who Jesus is, and we've talked also about allow them to see who Jesus is. This Sunday, we're taking a little bit more of a nuanced look at that. Because in our community, a community that is on the high side, 96% black, on the low side, 89% back black, that's still pretty black, um, a predominantly black community, there are some reservations, some hesitations, some struggles that black people have. And one of the questions I hear in my personal life or out in the world is, why would I love Jesus. More specifically, why would I as a black person love that white relationship, that white religion? Is Christianity the white man's faith? So today we're going to unpack that a little bit. The, the reason is we all need to be able to care for our community and we do so by speaking Truth. So it's important that we all be able to have truth within us, not just the black people, not just the women, not just the Asian, not just all of us to be rooted in truth so that we can meet people where they are. So we can hear them, but also so that they can understand God's word. This brother named Claude Acho gave a great um, article in the Gospel Coalition, and he kind of lists these three things that, that allow you to unpack why people say, isn't Christianity the white man's religion? Here's the three things, and I'm going to break those down. One is historical oppression. The second is whitewashing of Christianity. And the third, I have rephrased it, is pain or what he would say is an, a, a deaf ear to justice. So let's start with historical oppression. Yes, Christianity has some aspects of its past that would seem to be oppressive. I mean, no one in here is, is blind to the reality that because we are in a mixed congregation with black people, Christianity's had some bad aspects of his history. Because black people wouldn't be here if Christianity didn't have some, black as some bad aspects of its history. But that history doesn't start there, but let me allow you to hear a quote from a famous man named Frederick Douglass. Because he helps to frame for us the faith and the experience. He said, in his first autobi in his autobiography, he said, I have, in several instances, spoken in such a tone and manner respecting religion as may possibly lead those unacquainted with my religious views to suppose me an opponent of all religion. To remove the liability of such, mis such misapprehension, I deem it proper to append the following brief explanation. He basically said, some of y'all think I don't like religion. I do. Let me tell y'all. Let me make it clear. He says, I deem what I have said respecting and against religion, I mean strictly to apply to the slaveholding religion of this land and with no possible reference to Christianity proper. For between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the widest possible difference. 
so wide that to receive the one as good, pure, and holy is of necessity to reject the other as bad, corrupt, and wicked. To be the friend of the one is of the necessity to be the enemy of the other. I love the pure, peaceable, and impartial Christianity of Christ. I therefore hate the corrupt, slave-holding, women-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial, and hypocritical Christianity of this land. Indeed, I can see no reason but the most deceitful one for calling the religion of this land Christianity. I look upon it as the climax of all misnomers, the boldest of all frauds, and the grossest of all libels. You see, he says there, hold up. There is a Christianity. There is a faith. And if you thought that I didn't cling to that faith, you got me mistaken. But if you call faith that which the black person experiences in my day, then you have something mislabeled totally. You've misunderstood what faith is. Faith is peace. Faith is love. Faith is liberating. And what I'm experiencing is so far from that that I don't even want to call those things the same term. It's sad that that it wasn't like accidental. It was actually intentional that these faiths would be separated. In the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., Tuskegee University loaned the museum a Bible. This Bible is uh, noted as uh, the Negro Slave Bible. It was used in the West Indies. It was published in 1807. Let me tell you a few things about this Bible. This Bible was intended to just give portions to slaves. It uh, lacks what is uh, it is about ninety percent of the Old Testament is missing, and fifty percent of the New Testament is missing. Put in another way, there are eleven hundred and eighty-nine chapters in a normal Bible. This Bible only c- contained two hundred and thirty-two. Do you see what happens when when we allow for there to be power connected to faith? You then are able to take and distort the story of what true faith is. And that ungodly thing has oppressed people. It has hurt people. It has damaged people. And it has kept God's word from our minds. But I love one of our modern-day apologists, a sister named Lisa Fields, who runs a project called the Jude 3 Project. And if you want to be encouraged in the, in the gospel, I encourage you to check her out. She said she, she does tours at HBCUs, training people in understanding the gospel. She says that, unfortunately, when people of color choose not to read the Bible, we are fulfilling a white supremacist mindset. They did everything they could to keep the Bible from you. And now you're saying, no, I'm going to choose not to read that because that ain't real. See, the best thing you can do, and I quote her, she says, the best way to fight white supremacy is to read the Bible from cover to cover. 
It's to actually read the story of God that says you are beautiful. You are created in my image. I love you. And there is no one above or beneath you. You are just as valuable as anyone else in the room. I don't care what society says. See, when you read that, that dangerous word, that dangerous Bible, that Bible that tears down unjust economies, that Bible that gives you dignity. So when you do that, you're fighting against white supremacy and we're fighting against oppressive structures. And so our sister correctly encourages us because then we get to start seeing ourselves seeing people of color in the story. As a brother, my, so about three years ago, one of my good friends came and preached here. He's a, a pastor out in Boston, and we were on sabbatical. His name's Chris Williams. And uh, I, I went to seminary with Chris. Uh, Chris is a dope man of God. Chris had his first son, and he named him Athanasius. Now, <laughs> see, somebody know who that was. <laughs> I didn't know who that was. I'm like, that's a unique name, bro. Tell me about it. He's like, man, this was one of the church fathers. Like, this is one of this. When you think of, like, our faith being shaped, this is one of the church fathers that helped shape it. Actually, if you could bring up that diagram for me, Charles. It's a, um, a diagram of the Trinity. Like, Athanasius, dang, my fault, y'all. It's a little blurry. But, um. Athanasius, like, like, is the person that helped us understand the beauty of the Trinity, that, that, that God is not the Son, God is not the Holy Spirit, um, but, that, but that you find the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all God. And, and he made that clear and plain, and there was a lot of heresy about it where we were trying to worship three gods. No, 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 that's not, that's not the faith, you know? And, and, and so he, he broke it down and helped Make it understandable. And this was a black man. This was an African man. See, when the story is told in its totality, we understand that Augustine and Tertullian and Athanasius are from the north, from northern Africa. We understand that Irenaeus and Ignatius are from Asia. You start to understand a little bit more of the beauty and richness by which our faith comes from. Our brother Vince Bantu says, hey, if you, if you got any questions, like, like, like don't let this question of oppression be something that messes you up because you're starting at the wrong starting place. Christianity didn't start at the black church slavery in America. Christianity started thousands of years before that. He says in, in Alexandria, in Egypt, there's evidence to support peaceful spread of Christianity from Egypt to New, uh, Nubia. He says that he has 6th century Egyptian missionaries. He has uh, the Christian kingdom of Aksum under King Izana in the 4th century and how African groups contextualize their faith in Christ to their own cultures. All this, he says, happened a thousand years before the transatlantic slave trade. So is there oppression? There is. But that's not where our faith starts. Our faith doesn't start at slavery. Our faith starts way before where we have expressions of color throughout. 
Let us take refuge. I love Proverbs 30 says, every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. That, that, that it is God's word, the fullness of his word that will fill us, that, that we can delight in, that we can take refuge in. But it's his word and his spirit that does something together that will set us afire. John chapter 13 says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. All truth. It's, it's, it's crazy. I can't remember who said this. Brother was saying, it's like an absolute miracle that any black person in America throughout time would be a Christian. He said, it is crazy when you think of what black people went through. He said, but that must mean that there's something more beautiful, something grander, something that is way above what the oppression tried to stiff out. Something greater. I was reading the, the journals of slaves who talked about at night, they would steal away. They would have a long day of labor. But at night, they would take blankets, wet them in the river, hang them up on the trees, and surround themselves. Come into the blankets and start worshiping and praising. The blankets were wet, so it would deafen the sound so that their voices wouldn't travel. But the only thing that allowed them to maintain their sanity was a worship of a God that they knew they loved, even if this God wasn't accurately described to them. Not only did they learn of who God was, they experienced him physically. The Holy Spirit will show up with the word of God and let you know, I got you. I know you're being oppressed. I know society can make, make you feel like all of the weight of the world is on your shoulder, but I, I got you. I got you. And so oppression is the first way in which people struggle, but we got to let them know oppression does not define the faith. But then there's this component that the person with control defines a narrative. And unfortunately, a westernized Christianity has been whitewashed. What do I mean by that? Um, I, if I were to ask you right now, where Israel is located, where would you say? I want to pull up, pull up a map real quick. Now, now you're trying to look for it. See, I see you trying to, trying to see. That's okay, because your eye's bad. You can't see it nowhere. <laughs> see, if I, if I were to ask you where Israel was located, all right, now go to that next one for me. you'll begin to see that the, the two titles in orange are Africa and Asia. Sorry, y'all. I was in seminary learning about Jesus at a master level, and I didn't know Israel wasn't in Europe until I was in seminary. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, it's on me. I know. Y'all knew. All of y'all knew. Asia, y'all knew Africa's bordering it. Y'all knew, but it ain't nowhere, it's not in Europe, y'all. 
But, but what are the images you see when you think of people of God? When you think of Jesus? Y'all, we bought this church. I tried to find it. We bought this church, and the Lord blessed us, y'all. I was so hallelujah. We came in, painted the walls a bit, uh, updated some stuff. Still got the pink carpet. We're going to get rid of that, though. That's next. We got it. But on the steps was this gigantic picture. What's up, bro? Come on in. Was this gigantic picture of white Jesus. And Sandra was like, Pastor. Can we take that picture of white Jesus? <laughs> and we took down a picture of white Jesus. <laughs> but but if, if you and I can be honest, this, this is the image that's everywhere. It, it, it was everywhere. And the reason why I couldn't associate Israel with having any context in Asia or any context in Africa, because I never saw that color, that hue of skin. I never saw any pigmentation that related to that. This is me, black Leon, raised in a black church. My only images that I saw was of a white Jesus. But as I read, it's like, oh, as, as the crusades took place and as missionaries went forth, they, they took pictures with them. Not only the pictures, they set up schools of art. And what did the schools of art draw? In black communities, in Asian communities, in Middle Eastern communities, what does the school of arts draw? White Jesus. European Jesus. You see, family, folks are struggling with why would I want to be associated with that? Because we have some reckoning to do. Now, hear me, in telling the truth doesn't mean we belittle anyone. White people are beautiful. I'm going to say it. White people are beautiful. I'm going to look bad because I'm going to, but, but see, why, why you got to say that? Because by saying the truth, it sounds like you're against, we ain't against nobody. It's just crazy how when you actually start telling the truth, it sounds revolutionary. That's why they didn't want us to have the Bible. Because the truth allows us to all be unified, to be like, come on, my beautiful black brother. Come on, my beautiful white sister. Come on, my beautiful Asian brother. Like, it allows us to be unified. But what allows slavery and economic injustice and all these other things to happen is when we get to be separated, pitted against each other. Some seem as less than. Some of us justified and put here by God to be in control of others. Like when, when, when that messiness happens, so we can be honest when a, when a brother's hurting. It's like, man, what about white Jesus? I'm like, I know, bro. I know, man. That's, that's not what he looked like. The, the Middle East looks, looks very different. The, the hue, the, the color of skin. I mean, I mean we ain't even got to go to Middle East. Go to Arizona. Look at white people in Arizona. The skin tone, they're browner than them. You know, when you in the sun, you know you get, we already know it don't look nothing like dude. My professor told one group, eat the milk. Eat the milk. Eat the milk. It's tan out there. <laughs> but here's the problem, though. 
if I can be honest, there's a part of us that have been so doctrinated, we feel bad when we think outside those lines. Charles, put up that next image. I, I feel like this is blasphemy. You can't see, but at the bottom, the bottom left is an Asian image. A black image. Like, like you, you, I feel like this is, this is, like, like something in me feels like, like I'm doing something wrong. Like I'm tainting the image of Jesus and, ooh, it runs deep, y'all. And this is where God wants to expose us to the reality. Why? Because when you are talking with that person who's saying white Jesus, they're saying all the oppression, all the pain, all the injustice that comes with that. Do you ascribe to that? And you can say, no, let me meet you where you are. I'm, I'm, I'm detoxifying too. I'm, I'm renewing my mind too. I'm growing too. But you understand why we have groups like Hebrew Israelites and other groups who are like, no, everybody in the Bible was black and they lied to you. <laughs> you, you get it? You get it? If, if, if they could do that, they told us nobody was in the, black, in the Bible black. Now we want to say everybody. We swing into the other pendulum. Let's just be honest about the beautiful mix-up of beautiful culture in that community. Saudi Arabia is a little bit different than Egypt. It's a little bit different than Turkey. It's a little bit like, like once you start understanding like, whoa, these cultures were beautiful and, and life wasn't so like a nice line defined. Like, you, oh, you left, crossed altar, left, Detro left Detroit. I'm in Gross Point now. Like, no, it wasn't as defined like that. Cultures were loving, ebbing and flowing. And while culture was defined, Jesus is rolling. He's walking. He's doing life with people. And you see the context of, of Ephesians, the context of Colossians. That's in modern-day Turkey. That's not in modern-day France. It's in places where people of color were. So we got to be okay with allowing the truthfulness of the Bible and some of those distortions to be, to, to, those distortions to be, to be put away and us to take on the vision that God had. In, in Revelation chapter 5, God says this. He says, they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with the blood you purchased for God, persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Everybody will be worshiping the Lord together. I like how this brother Miles, Michael Miles says it this way. He says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, raised in the town of Nazareth, and conducted his earthly ministry in modern-day Palestine. None of these places are in Europe. Paul's missionary journeys took him into modern-day Europe territory like Thessalonica and Corinth, and Corinth. However, the content of the gospel that he preached was from a Jewish context. It wasn't from Rome. So he brought a, a context of culture. All right, I'm going to finish this last one, which is, which is, one, which is one of pain. So if, if the gospel speaks to 
oppression, saying, yes, oppression happened, but that is not the full story. There's a story of God at work far before slavery and a story of God at work even in the midst of oppression. If, if us acknowledging that Jesus being whitewashed and Christianity being whitewashed, it's almost as if like we get a chance to start with a, 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 a redeemed faith, a new faith. We get a chance to, to experience to some degree what Frederick Douglass longed for. We get a chance to, to have the peace, joy, love, and experience that as one. But oftentimes, sisters or brothers just make it plain. Pastor Lee, like, like but, but they don't care. But the church doesn't care. It doesn't care about my experience, and it doesn't care about the injustices that are happening to me. I was... Uh, I, was, I, I had a chance to go on this journey, and uh, the Lord was gracious to me. One of my, my good friends, um, if you, Charles, if you could pull up those pictures, my good friend Brian, and I told you all about this with my young shirt on. Um, I told you all about this, uh, this trip I took two years ago. My brother blessed me, one of the, one of the greatest trips I've ever been on. Uh, it was, it was a, a, went to all these different, like, impactful places in black history. Uh, Civil rights movement. Oh, I love it. Ain't she cooling over there? Um, and, and, and sadly, one of the places I went to was a courthouse where, where Emmett Till's case took place. Emmett Till, this young black man, who, a uh, young black boy, who um, uh, they say that he said something inappropriate to a white woman. And so men came, took him out of his house, uh, and they took him to this uh, garage. This is the, the home of the two men. Um, and, I, and I believe the wife of the man is still alive. She has uh, written down in a sealed journal uh, where she says is the truth of everything that happened, but she is not allowing the journal to be opened until 30 years after her death. Um, but this trip took us to the, the place and to the garage where these men took his life. And it was painful that his life was taken. It was painful that, that people were able to see the devastation that could take place from the hands of one another human. But what I would say almost hurt as much was when the white men got off. No justice. And, th and that no justice theme will ring in the hearts of black people when you see Rodney King, when you see George Zimmerman, when you see Eric Gardner, when, when these injustices happening, they're saying, well, wait, 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 wait. Where's the church? Specifically, where's the white church? Because as I'm going through pain, as it seems like there's no accountability, what is the church's response? And I love that, that our people are willing to say, you've got to not simply look at the broader white church, you've got to look at the church that is local. For it has been the black church 
and the Asian church than many churches of color that have stood up during times of injustice. And now in the last 20 years, there have been more churches that are even white churches that are standing up saying, how do I get involved? There has always been a remnant. There's always been a group of people who were willing to say, I'll put myself in harm's way. We're going to Cincinnati for a conference in a week. Cincinnati was one of the, the greatest, uh, not great, one of the most influential places within the Underground Railroad. And the people who had homes along the Underground Railroad, like the majority of them were white people. White people. Why? Because black people didn't have a house in the South. They was catching you, sending you, wrapping you up, bruh. It was white people with their children and their family who were putting themselves at harm's way. They could be beaten, jailed, and they took in tons and tons of people. I was reading about one guy who estimates he took in at least 3,300 people during the course of, being with, of, of him and his wife being married. Said he started at seven when he saw men being chained and taken away. And he started, he got a, a whooping or something happened to him as he was feeding people through the chains, through the bars. He knew what he was going to be, what, what, what his life was going to be dedicated to. You see, you can look and if you want to only focus on the bad and the evil, which is out there. Because what we want to do is be like, no, 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 look at the white people. There was some good white. No, no, no. There's evil white people, too. And there's evil black people and there's evil. But there is an evil system that exists. But that doesn't define the whole church. Ignoring the plight of people of color does not define the whole church. There was a church. There is a church. There will be a church that will stand for what God expects of us throughout time. And if you take a look into the history of the black church, you see, there would be no legislation had the black church not stepped up. There would be no civil rights. There would be all of the things that we are able to experience, our ability to be in this room right now together, doing life together and not hating each other, happens because of the impact of the black church. And so the church plays a role. People play a role. But we have to also be willing to tell that story, but not negate a person's pain. Because I still feel fear every time I get pulled over. Somebody was like, well, but, but you in Detroit, man. You got black officers. And? <laughs> and it, but it started when I was like 13. Because my grandmother was married to a police officer in Pittsburgh. And they got a divorce. I, I didn't know my grandfather very well. But my grandmother said she had to have the talk with me that my grandfather had with my uncles. This is a black officer saying to them, I don't care what they do to you. I don't care what they say to you. You say, yes, sir, and you get home. They won't hurt you. They will kill you. He has to say this to his teenagers. 
And as a, as a teenager myself, that, that, that settled in me. And sadly, every time we have a situation where I want to believe we're so much further along, we have a situation, I'm like, ah, dang, granddad was right. But what gives me hope, what gives me joy is that the church doesn't sit back silent. The church actually speaks up and says, no, that is wrong. We will not stand for that. And we are willing, like those that were a part of the Underground Railroad, we're willing even to put ourselves in harm way, harm's way to stand up for what God expects of us, that all people would be treated with dignity, value, and worth. It's what we are committed to here, family. It's what we believe God calls us to. I know that Proverbs 31 is usually just focused on the beauty of being a woman that wants to celebrate the Lord and walk within that. But there are some verses within it that actually were given to a king uh, before that portion. Proverbs 31 verses 8 and 9 say this. It's an encouragement to us as God's people. It says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. This is our our rhythm. This is how we flow. This is how believers are to operate. And when they look at us and they say, man, I'm going through pain. Y'all don't care. We can say, no, we care. We're right in it with you. We love you. How can we support you and celebrate you? How can we use our influence? How can we use the spaces that we have to be about kingdom justice? Family, I, I, I want us to realize this question is fresh. We thought it was a question for the 60s. We thought the things that Malcolm X said were something back in the day. But some of his quotes about white church, black church, the church, some people are still asking those same questions today. Is Christianity the white man's faith? I would say not at all. It is a faith of all nations. It is a faith that builds us all up, and it is a faith that models love unto the world. I thank you, family, for joining me in this walk, in this journey of experiencing and allowing others to experience that love. Let's pray together. Lord, we want people to know you. And we know racism can be one tool that Satan uses to lead people to not want to know you. But we pray, Father, that the gospel and the truth of the gospel, Lord, can pierce through and people would experience you, a loving father, a God who has uh, no respect of persons. You don't elevate rich over poor, Asian over white, black over uh, Latino. Lord, you just, Father, you love all people. And there is a day, like Edith said, where we all get to praise you together in unison. So let's start now. You've been good to us, Lord. We thank you for expressions of grace, Lord. We thank you for images that that reflect the beauty of who you are, Lord. We thank you for the impact of Asia on our theology, God. Hallelujah. And we, Lord, we pray that you would allow uh, 
us to just communicate who you are with clarity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.